the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. And the kind of loving fellowship that the church at Jerusalem had was that they all knew that they were part of God's family. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, they didn't hesitate to share with each other their physical possessions as those in a family naturally share with one another. A church should be a place of sharing. When Christians become focused on the needs of others, their own needs will be met. When Christians are focused on their own needs, nobody's needs are met and everybody seems to complain about it. A person who had been hurt in their former church once said, I want to go to a church where I can just blend in and feel anonymous. Those are not terms that should describe a local church. We need one another to share one another's burdens and help meet one another's needs. The church is an amazing place. It is where God intends for people of all different types of backgrounds and cultures to come together and get along. They don't have to become uniform to become unified. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is sharing this great message series, What a New Testament Church Should Be Like. I am convinced that God has something to say to you that will bring lasting change into your life today. It will certainly affect how you look at the church. Let's listen carefully to Pastor Steve with today's message on Verse by Verse. When you hear the whole counsel of God, you are prevented from becoming unbalanced in your understanding of truth. I've said this a number of times. I'll say it again. Someone has so rightly said that truth out of balance leads to heresy. Truth out of balance leads to heresy. So, for example, when you hear teaching, on, let's say, the sovereignty of God and and election and predestination, you also hear Bible teaching that says that we have a, a responsibility to present the gospel to the lost and to pray and to do our job and that we're not relieved of human responsibility just because God is sovereign. That keeps you from being unbalanced. When you, for example, hear truths uh, in Scripture that God is a God of, of wrath, and he punishes those who have rejected Christ, you also hear that God is a God of mercy and grace. And you hear the balance. And that's the way the Word of God is to be taught, so that you don't become unbalanced in any one area and go off on an extreme that Scripture does not teach. Now, being committed to a verse-by-verse study of the Word of God also means that we don't avoid teaching certain doctrines, and truths, even if they are controversial. Over the years, we teach the whole council, and uh, you may not have received any criticism, but I have on certain things, and that's, and that's okay. We don't back down from teaching the Word because it might be controversial. 
It also means that we don't water down certain Bible truths in order to avoid controversy. And I love, I love the passage that affirms that we're not to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is really my hero in ministry and is a man that, if I say I have tried to model my life in ministry after, from a human standpoint, after Jesus, it would be Paul. I love Paul. I love his approach to ministry. I love his courage, his love, his balance, his tenacity. Notice what he said to the Corinthians who were criticizing his ministry, by the way. He said in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. We're not discouraged, he said. And here he opens his heart and he explains a little bit about his ministry. He said, We have renounced the, the things hidden because of shame. Some were saying Paul is a shameful man. Paul does things in private that are wrong. And he's saying, no, no, we renounce that stuff. We don't do that. He said, not walking in craftiness. Some had accused Paul of being deceitful and just being in it for the money. He said, we don't do that either. And then he said, nor do we, in the next phrase, is adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, we do not adulterate the word of God. What does it mean to adulterate the word of God? This word adulterate was used in ancient Greek literature of pouring some water into wine in order to dilute it. Paul said, when it comes to the word of God, we don't dilute it so that we rob it of its strength and potency. That is to say that when Paul taught the word of God, he did not take the hard edge off of doctrine. He didn't take the hard edge off of doctrine so that it would be appealing to people, so that people would be comfortable with it, so, so he wouldn't alienate anyone. We would say today that means that we teach the lordship of Christ as it ought to be taught, that Christ calls people to follow him and not just say a prayer of salvation and then never have any concern for holy living. It would mean also that when we preach on hell, we preach on hell as it is. It is what it is. It's eternal. It's a burning lake of fire. When we preach on repentance, we don't, we don't take the hard edge off of repentance by saying, well, you just change your mind. No, it's a change of mind that, that involves a change and a forsaking of sin, a change of behavior. When we speak of God's sovereignty, we don't try to make it appealing. We, we give it the way it's given in Scripture. We speak of election and predestination. That's the way it is. Now, we don't adulterate the Word of God at Lakeside, even if by preaching it like it should be preached, it does invite criticism, because that's not the pattern we see in the early churches, especially the church at Jerusalem. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and folks, that's exactly what we try to do. And so the first mark of a healthy church is that it's a, a teaching church, a Bible-teaching church, but it's not the only mark of a healthy church. As Luke continues to tell us about this church at Jerusalem, we see that he gives us a second mark of what a healthy church looks like. And it is not only a teaching church, it's a loving church. It's a kind and loving church. Look at verse 42 as Luke continues. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. See, the Jerusalem church was involved not only in learning from the apostles, but also in loving 
one another. That love was expressed by their fellowship. This is so critical for us to understand because churches that emphasize teaching like we do at Lakeside need to constantly be reminded that knowledge of God's word alone without love is wrong and it's dangerous because knowledge without love will always make a Christian arrogant arrogant and haughty in his attitude towards others. Why? Because he, he's lifted up with pride because he knows that he knows more than that other person and he's going to be happy to tell them how much he knows. He thinks he's better than someone else. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. What he meant by that is that knowledge alone makes a Christian quite impressed with himself and he looks down upon others who do not have his knowledge, but love combined with knowledge seeks to build up others. It edifies others. It, it, it doesn't think highly of himself, thinks highly of other people. Now, the church at Jerusalem had both knowledge of the Bible and a love for others. And Luke explains the way they, this church expressed their love for each other by using the word fellowship. He doesn't actually say love, but it is love. What is fellowship? They continually devoted themselves to fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Fellowship is the English translation of the well-known Greek word that's actually used today even in in our language as koinonia. Koinonia essentially means to have in common or to share. To have in common or share. And the kind of loving fellowship that the church at Jerusalem had was that they all knew that they were part of God's family. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore they didn't hesitate to share with each other their physical possessions as those in a family naturally share with one another. Look at Acts again, Acts chapter 2. Notice how this love and fellowship demonstrated itself, verses 44 through 46. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and we're sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now, we do need to understand and be careful that we understand this correctly because these verses are not saying that these folks gave everything they owned away, that they just pulled them together and they didn't own anything anymore. We know that's not the case because verse 46 says that they still had houses to meet in. People had houses. Later in Acts chapter 5, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. They had property that they chose to sell and just say what's mine is yours. This was not giving away everything in the sense of, of now we have a communal farm. This is not it at all. Or in Israel, they have a kibbutz and it's all kind. It's the common pot all together. That's not this. No, what these verses mean is that the people of that church sold their property and their possessions as needs arose among them. In other words, if anyone in the church had a financial need, then someone would sell what they owned in order to meet that need. That was how they did it. See, although I understand they were young in the Lord, these are these are not polished believers. These are not mature believers who have been saved for years. These are brand new believers. Infants in Christ, but they're young in the Lord, but still they understood that they had to operate as a loving fellowship 
of brothers and sisters in Christ who looked out for each other. In fact, verse 46 says they loved each other so much. They were so close to each other. They had such intimate fellowship that they even had their meals together. But it was in their sharing of material goods that primarily indicates what a loving body of believers this church at Jerusalem really was. Because according to the Bible, genuine love amongst Christians always expresses itself in sharing with others, in meeting a need, in doing something tangible. I'd like you to see this. First John chapter 3. Mostly all of us know John chapter 3, John 3.16, but First John 3.16 is equally important. First John 3.16 says this, we know love by this. That is to say, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know how love defines itself. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We know that love is defined by Christ giving his life for us. He died for us. That's how we know what love is. God demonstrated his love by the death of Christ. So we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we, meaning we who know Christ, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I don't think John is saying just as Christ died on the cross, we need to physically die for one another. Because if you do that, then there's nobody around. I think we need to be willing to die for one another. What John goes on to explain is that what he's talking about is that we die daily. We sacrifice daily. We give of our lives daily, our time, our resources, our energies, our ears to hear. We give whatever we need to give to meet someone's needs. He explains that in verses 17 and 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, Against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's a rhetorical question. The love of God does not abide in him. If someone claims to know Christ but is characterized, we're not talking about an isolated incident because we've all blown it before and and not love like we should. He's talking about this is a pattern of life. You see a Christian who's hurting financially. You have the resources to help them and you never do anything. John says the love of God is not in your heart. It's impossible. It's impossible. He goes on to say in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. That is to say, don't tell somebody you love them and make those empty words. Do something to meet their needs. It's like seeing somebody shivering in the cold, someone who's a Christian, especially shivering in the cold, and you say, I'll pray for you. And you've got an extra jacket in your hand. That's what John is saying. Don't tell them that. Show them that you love them. Don't say, I love you, without doing something that demonstrates that. That's how the church at Jerusalem operated. They saw a need. They, they sold property. They got some money. They met that, that need. Frankly, though, loving one another in the context of a local church is just an ongoing challenge, ongoing challenge, because the natural inclination and bent of our fallen hearts is to be self-focused, to think only about us and to cling to what we have materially without any or very little consideration for others. And combined with the fact that we're a Bible-teaching church, it is very easy for us at Lakeside to see Bible exposition as an end 
in and of itself, and therefore to view our church as simply a classroom where we come on Sundays, we gather, we receive instruction, and then we leave, and we don't touch anybody else's life. That's your view of the church. That's wrong. That's wrong. According to the New Testament, the church is, a local church, is so much more than that. The church is a family that cares for one another. And that's why we have our church broken down into smaller groups, Sunday school fellowships, home fellowships, disciple groups, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. We have that because you have to know one another enough to love one another, to know what the needs are. Church is not simply gathering on Sunday and then leaving and I'll see you next week. That's not what a church is. So how can we as a church and you as individuals, because you are the church, there is no such thing as the church without you. I'm here on uh, the days of the week and I walk through the auditorium. It's not a church then because you're not here. So you are the church. How can, can you as individuals, how can I? as an individual, cultivate a more loving concern for others. I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Very important. Don't turn your minds off yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes, starting in verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Let's stop there. Now, if this is the first time you're ever hearing that, I know what you're thinking. What? What in the world is that talking about? I understand it is awkwardly worded in English, but let me give you the background and the essence of what Paul is teaching here. Paul speaks of a group of churches in a region of the world known back then as Macedonia. He tells the church at Corinth about these Macedonian Christians. And why does he bring them up? Because the Macedonian Christians were extremely generous with their money, And the church at Corinth wasn't as generous. And Paul wants the church at Corinth to look at the Macedonian Christians as an example. He wants to motivate the Corinthians to be like these Macedonians. Now, as awkwardly worded as it is in English, let me tell you the essence of what Paul is teaching here is that even though these Macedonian Christians were very poor, we would say they were dirt poor, they were still extremely generous in giving their money to help support the church that we've been studying about today, the church at Jerusalem that was very poor, and they helped them by giving them some money. This church was suffering in Jerusalem, great financial hardship. And in fact, Paul says that the churches of Macedonia, they gave beyond their ability, which means that in giving their money, they sacrificed greatly beyond what anyone would expect them to give. In fact, Paul said, They begged us for the opportunity to give. I didn't want to take from them. In essence, he's saying, really, we should have given them money. But they pleaded with us, no, take our money and help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So why were they so generous? Why were they more generous than the Corinthians and far more generous than than many of us? Why? What was different about them? Well, the key to their sacrificial giving is found in verse 5. 
Notice verse 5. That's why I stopped, because this is the key. And this, not as we had expected, Paul said, they, they, they gave so abundantly, we didn't even expect this. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. Folks, that's the key to giving. They gave themselves to the Lord. That's the key to loving other believers. That's the key to being sensitive. That's the key to, say, to saying when you hear of a brother or sister hurting, if I have this, I'm going to give it to you. I'll help you. Why? These folks gave themselves to Jesus Christ in the sense that they dedicated themselves and everything they possessed to him. When they did this, they were free to give to others. Why? Listen very closely, because when you see yourself for who you really are, someone who belongs to Christ, who was purchased by Christ at the cross, then you realize that everything you have belongs to him too. And therefore, you don't selfishly cling to anything. Paul said we brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out of this world. What an understatement that is. Everything we have has been given to us by Christ. So share it with others. Share it with others. See, the key to being a loving church made up of a group of loving individuals is to be a people who have a deep love relationship with Christ. It all goes back to our commitment to him. If you see yourself belonging to him, then everything you have belongs to him to minister to others. Love Christ, you'll love his people. Let's bow for prayer. Question is, do you love Christ? Or is it just verbal words? Do you really love him? Have you ever given yourself to Jesus Christ completely? Either in salvation as you've trusted him, as your Lord and Savior dying on the cross for your sins? Or else, as a believer, have you recommitted yourself to Christ? Maybe you've, you've gotten a little bit far away from him, a little bit self-centered, a little bit preoccupied with you. I urge you to recommit yourself. Come back to the truth that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. He purchased you. Everything you are, Everything you have, it's his. Don't hoard it. If you never trusted him, trust him. Come to him for salvation. God has designed his church to be a place where you're taught the word of God and where you're loved and where you can love others too. That's what makes the church so precious. So I urge you, be active. Get involved in a Sunday school fellowship or a home study or some smaller group where fellowship is going on but be part of your church. This is the way you're supposed to function in a local church. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Luke to tell us in detail about how the first church functioned. Lord, may we be like them in principle. May we be a a church that teaches the word of God unashamedly, non-compromisingly, courageously, balanced, lovingly, with clarity, practicality, but above all things, with accuracy. And Lord, may we be a loving church. May we be a church that never thinks that we're better than others because we might know what they don't know, but may we be humble, modest, serving others, giving what we have, being generous, knowing that we belong to you. 
May you help us, Lord, be sensitive to others. And I pray that each one here would take to heart the importance of being involved in some smaller facet of ministry. I pray, Lord, that you'll take these truths, apply them where you want to apply them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything we have has been given to us by Christ. It is not a question of rich versus poor. We all have something we can give back to the Lord. The best place to do that is in the church. It could be a talent or a treasure, but it is not ours to keep and use as we see fit. It is only ours to share and use as God directs. The early church didn't hold back. The Christians didn't work hard at getting rich and then give to God what they wouldn't miss. They gave more than they could afford and trusted God and their Christian family to take care of them. That's a different kind of faith than we are used to today. It's been a real blessing for us to share this time with you. Verse by Verse Radio is here to help you understand how the Word of God applies to your life in every situation. Please feel free to take advantage of the many resources that are found on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Call us at 727-239-0306 for help and counsel, or just to have someone pray for you. Don't forget that we need your help, too. This ministry is supported by our listeners. If you would like to send a gift to help us stay in the air, you can do that by phone, mail, or even online. We greatly appreciate your faithful support and partnership. Join us again for the next message. In Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.